book of Mark, chapter number 7. We're going to read something here in Mark, chapter number 7. And in case you're visiting with us, don't panic. I don't do this a whole lot. A lot of our people are already panicking, wondering what I'm doing here uh, with that. But I want us to, uh, to do something a little bit different tonight. Um, and like I said, if you're, if you're here tonight, you know, you're not here by accident. Uh, I want us to look at something, and the idea and perspective is, what is it that we want out of church? What is it that we want out of church? And we're going to read some things here, and hopefully it'll be a blessing to you. In Mark chapter number 7, I like to read the first nine verses here. Mark 7, beginning in verse number 1, and we'll go down through verse Number nine, the Bible says this, says, then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes, which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say, with unwashing hands, they found fault for the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they washed their hands off, eat not holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not. And many other things there be which they have received to hold as the washing of cups and of pots, brazen vessels, and of tables. Then the disciples and scribes asked him, him being Jesus, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? Verse 6, Jesus answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah, or Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men, as the washing of pots and cups, and many other such like things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. Let's pray. Father, I pray you be with us tonight. As we look at your word for the next few moments, Lord, a, a short passage of scripture uh, doesn't seem like a big situation here, Lord, but I believe there's something here that we can all learn from. But Lord, I pray you just be with us tonight. Be with uh, uh, the children, Lord, is there in, in the back there. Be with Miss Christie and, and Miss Betty there with them. And Lord, as we look at your word for the next few moments, I pray you would, as you say in your word, you open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things out of thy law. Lord, I pray you would just forgive us of our sins or will we fail you even today. Lord, I thank you for those that are here. Lord, I pray that you might just give them exactly what it is that you'd have for them tonight. Thank you for all your blessings. And may we make much of Jesus in our time tonight. In whose name we pray. Amen. As I said, and I know it scares people when I say this, but I'm going to do something a little bit different tonight just for a moment and we get into a passage. Uh, I don't know if you got a piece of paper with you or a pen but I want you to try something for the next 60 seconds, okay? At least that. I want you to write down, if you would, what you expect from your church. What do you expect from church? When you go to church, what is your expectations when you go to church? When you go to a church service and what you have at the church that you attend, whether it's Emmanuel or whatever church you attend, what is, what is it that you expect from a church? You may have been in your life sometimes looking for a church. I think we've all been in that boat. What is it that you look for in a church? Something that you say, hey, if I go to this church, I want it to have this, this, and this. And I think it's important that it has this, that, and the other. 
And I'm going to actually, I took a little bit of a survey here off uh, the internet and studied some other things of what people listed, people, uh, Christians listed as what they expect when they are looking for a church or what do they expect from church. But like I said, if, if you would, I know it's a little different. <laughs> okay, so don't freak out, get scared. All right, just take the next few seconds here and just kind of think to yourself, what do you expect out of church? What's your expectation uh, in that? And as you're writing that down or you're thinking about it, I'm going to put down some things here on the board and I'm trying to make sure my penmanship is good and I scare everybody when I do that. But I want, to, I want you to see what a lot of Christians put down their expectation is from church, what they expect to get out of church. All right, and this is not in any particular order, okay? But one of the things they put down from this is that they wanted to have a good service. That doesn't sound bad at all, doesn't it? You hate to have a bad service, right? You go to a restaurant, you don't want bad service, you want good service. Uh, Put down was good service. Another thing that someone, that people said they really wanted is uh, age-specific Ministries, and I'll say menace right here, means they want to have things for the young people. They want to have things for uh, people that, for the children. They want to have programs uh, for the adults and for the senior saints. And everything you look at, they want age-specific things. None of this is bad, by the way. I'm not bashing any of this. You're like, well, I've got to tear my list up. I'm not, I'm not being mean. I'm just saying this is what it, they said. Another thing that they said in it is they look for a certain style, and I thought this was funny, even volume when it comes to music. Now, you can be honest right there. That's a big one in a lot of churches today, isn't it? It's all, a lot of times, it's about the music. And we'll get on that in a minute. But anyways, music's too loud. Music's too soft. What is it? Goldilocks and the Bears is like it. The bed's too soft. The bed's too hard. The bed's perfect. And so, another thing is this. They said, well, we want a, and I know you were very prayerful me this. They want a well-communicated sermon. Some of y'all laughed. I don't know why you're laughing back here, okay? I want a well-communicated sermon. I want a sermon that I can follow. I mean, no one likes going, and I've been guilty of it in my life, and probably even going to hear other people and saying, man, the preacher did a really good job, other than I have no idea what the point was today, what he was trying to say. I feel that way many Sundays, but anyhow, that's that way. Another thing it says, we would like conveniences such as um, uh, good parking, you know, nobody wants to park on the backside of nowhere and walk, you know, through everything to get there. Uh, another one actually said this, we like to have child care, which I will tell you right now, praise God from whom all blessings flow for every nursery worker that's ever done it in their life. I think that's great. And then also, and I know in our day and age, and some of you there in my Sunday school class know what the last one's going to be. Coffee. That's what we want, right? All right. And they wrote down, a lot of Christians said, these are the things... That I would have an expectation of. Now, we understand coffee's not as important as music, or coffee's not a good service. Pens, if you stayed up really late on Saturday night, coffee might be pretty important in making your day go. But none of these things are bad, right? None of them. But if you asked what it said in the poll of people they asked, and they asked thousands of them, Christians, what are you looking for in a church? What is your expectation? And a lot of these things right here, what we got, good service, age-specific ministries, certain style of music, a volume of music, uh, well-communicated sermon, good parking, child care, coffee, and I forgot one more, and it's always good, too. They say, we like to meet in a clean building. Some of y'all saying, A to the men on that. You like to be in a clean place. We understand that. All that's good stuff, right? Now, I don't think anybody would say, 
Some people might be saying, Brother Phil, you've got a whole lot of my expectations on this list. But here's a question. What does God expect out of the church? What does God, as expectations are, of what we call the church, which we know is the church is not this building. We call it we're going to church. But we know the body is what? It's a group of believers gathered together in one place. Which, by the way, I love being part of the body of believers here at Emmanuel. But I tell you, when I meet other people and I get to go other places, it's not a territorial thing. It's not an ownership thing. It's not a competition thing. I thank God for every other good Bible-believing church around here where other good believers get together and worship God. I thank God for the church that's here in Milledgeville for that. And so we see these things. So, But the question is this, okay? If these are kind of the things that we would say that we would want, and I think everybody would say this, what does God command the church to be, though? What does God command? Does God command coffee? <laughs> does he command a clean building? Well, none of these things are bad. Don't get me wrong. Does he command child care? Like I said, I'm very thankful for it. I'm very, all these different things. What does he command? Well, I want us to look at something. Hold your place there, Mark. I want us to look at this idea of what does God expect out of the church? God's expectations or God's commands, if you will, versus man's traditions, if we can say it like that. Okay, first one I want us to see is this. If you would flip to the book of John, if you would, John chapter number 15. John chapter number 15. In John chapter 15, one of the commands that God gives to the church in scriptures, in John chapter 15, in verse number 12. And by the way, some of y'all are getting really scared that we're not going to have coffee anymore. Yes, we will continue having coffee, okay, uh, with that. I like coffee. I like watching you come in in that way. John 15, verse number 12. Look what Jesus says. This is my commandment. That means what? That means this is important. It's not a suggestion. That means it's not an optional thing. Check the box. This is my commandment. What is the commandment? That ye love one another as I have loved you. Now, none of these things are bad on this list. But Jesus looks at his disciples, and I thoroughly believe, this is a little bit of philology, so take it how you, were, how you will. I personally believe the church started with Jesus and his disciples as he taught and as he went on. I do I understand after Pentecost, the people added to the church. Can't add to something that's not already there, but that's just a, beside the fact. But I believe the church really begun with Christ and disciples. And he looks at his disciples and says, hey, I got a commandment for you. When you get together in the temple, you make sure that the music is top-notch. When you get to the temple, you make sure that there's ample parking for everybody riding a donkey and everything else that was going on during that time, right? You make sure those little ones are taken care of. All those things are good, right? Now he says, what is what you need to do? Jesus says is that you love one another, but it would have been enough if he said that. But he doesn't finish, does he? He says, as I, or as Christ, loved you. So, part of the responsibility of a church is this. I tell you, a church can have the cleanest building in the world. If a church that doesn't have the love of Christ inside of that building, it doesn't matter how clean the church is. Because all it can be is a funeral home, if let's just be honest. It can just be a place that you get together, you have rituals, you have different things that you do. And he says in John 15, verse number 12, you want to know what I expect out of the church? In fact, he uses the language command. That doesn't mean option. It means command. He says that you love one another. And I said, all these things are great, but Jesus is saying, you've got to love them. Now, by the way, there's some people that are very easy to love, right? 
I know you're looking at one right now. Very easy to love. Huh? No, I'm playing. Have you ever thought about, do you love people as a believer the way that Christ loves you? And I really studied that. You know what that means? That means I ought to love people enough that I'm willing to do what Christ did. You know what that means? That means I ought to be willing to love people enough that I'm willing to go to the cross for them. That, let's just be honest, is more than what we bargain for a lot. It really is. It's somebody that we love that's in our family. It's somebody, a family member, a mom, a dad, a, a child, somebody like that. Maybe somebody you're really close to. You would say, maybe I would lay my life down for them. But Jesus says, we ought to love people to the degree that Christ did. And Christ said, I'm willing to take the fall, so to speak. I'm willing to innocently, for their wrong, be in, have to pay for their fault. Now, none of us mind doing something nice for people, but none of us, to be honest with you, like to take the fall for somebody else. In my house, if somebody does something wrong, very few times does one say, Dad, I just want to let you know I'm innocent, but I want you to punish me. Please, Dad, punish me. Let me be the one that gets grounded. Don't take my cell phone charger away. You know, take my tablet charger away. You say, you don't take the cell phone away? No, it's a lot more fun to take the charger away because they just want you no, and they're praying that. But I had the idea of saying, let me take the fall. And he says to love them. He said, this is not a suggestion. And again, who's he talking to? His disciples. Who are we called to be? What is the church? We're disciples. We're followers of Christ. And another thing, you say, Brother Phil, you made a good point there. Okay, great. Another thing that he commands us to do is flip to the back of the New Testament to James chapter number 1. Hebrews, James, before you get to First and Second Peter and First and Second Third John, you get to James chapter number 1. We see another command or an expectation, if you will, of God on the church, which is us. It's not the building. The building's not going to love anybody. But God's people are supposed to. In James chapter number 1, verse number 27, look what it says. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So it starts, really builds up the beginning of verse 27. Pure religion and undefiled, like this is really what religion should be. This is what Christianity ought to be. And you know what he says you ought to do? He says you ought to visit, and it says, emphasizes orphans, widows, but basically it says this, people in need. We got to visit people in need. He says what he's telling them in James, and remember James is written to believers, and he's saying, you know what's something you have to do? He says, you're not doing your job as a follower of Christ, a disciple, if you don't love one another as I love you. And part of demonstrating that love is to visit, to minister, to fellowship with those people that are in need, those people that are in want. He says, you have to visit them. You have to fellowship with them. You have to build relationships with them. I can tell you before, growing up in my life, there were times I went to church and went to church with somebody. I found out I went together to church with them for years. Don't even realize I knew their face, but I never knew their name. I never shook their hand. I never got to know them. I had no idea what their needs are, much less ever had the opportunity to pray for them in that. Because it's a lot easier to say what? Lord, bless our church. It's just a blanket. It's just generic. It's just pretty simple. And it's easy to pray that and feel better and go on. But to help meet people's needs... Jesus is saying through James here, 
He said, if you want pure religion, you want to know what my Christianity really is. He says, you find those people that are in need and you visit them and you help meet the need that they are in. Another one says this back in Matthew chapter number 28. I know I'm having you flip a good bit, but Matthew chapter number 28. Jesus goes on to say more of his expectation from the church. And Jesus gives this in Matthew 28. He gives this as he's leaving, as he's ascending. Now, I grew up in a home, whenever I left the house or a parent of mine left the house, they would always look at me and say, now listen what I'm saying, the last thing they said, because they're like, you need to remember this last thing I said. This is the last thing, Matthew 28, verse 19, is the last thing that Jesus tells his disciples before he leaves. And if this is his last command, which we all know is the Great Commission, if this is his last request, then it's something that's very important. Like, hey, don't forget this. Look what it says. Go ye, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Here is the problem with me as a Christian. I love the very end of verse 20. I love, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. But I don't want to live verse 19 in the first part of verse 20. Because verse 19 and verse 20 requires me to do some action. I want to claim the promise. But you know what? I can't claim the promise of verse number 20 unless I live verses 19 in the beginning of verse 20. I can't say, God, you're with me always unless I'm going, unless I'm teaching, unless I'm baptizing. That's discipling people, not only just a physical baptism, but a discipling as well. And then on verse 20, teaching them to observe, it means not just to know about it, but to help them practice it. Help them practice in, in the way that they should live and follow Christ. Because what does it say in verse 20? Whatsoever I commanded. I have underlined in my Bible a few things here. What does he tell them to do in the Great Commission? He tells them to go. He tells them to teach. He tells them to baptize. And he tells, tells them to observe. And in your life as a believer, as you know the Lord, how much do you go in the name of Christ telling people about Christ? How much do you teach? Which, by the way, it's hard to teach something you don't, you don't really know. It's hard to teach something you're not really familiar with. It's hard to wing it. It's hard to baptize in a sense of discipling people if you're not willing to go and teach. And it's hard to help the maintain of being faithful and the idea of accountability. I tell you, I know a lot of people believe accountability means weakness. Can I tell you, accountability in your life can be a blessing to you in your life. If you're the right person to be accountable to, it can be a blessing to you in that because if you're like me, and I don't have accountability in my life. I can quench the Holy Spirit in my life and feel good about whatever I want to do and justify what I want to do. But he says here in this part here, you say, well, Brother Phil, what are you going to make here? I'm just going to write down this part of this. I'm going to write down uh, evangelize and disciple, meaning discipleship. We've got to do that. And we talk about that around here. Our goals are what? We're here to evangelize the lost. We're here to let people know about Christ. We're here to uh, baptize believers, which means a physical baptism, but also means in this mentality of discipleship and helping them. But then number three, our goal is to mobilize disciples. It means after you grow spiritually, the job is to reproduce yourself, to reproduce yourself into other people. So to evangelize and disciples, and I tell you, that's a difficult thing because the average church does one of these. They don't do both because it's hard to do both. It takes a lot of time and effort to do both. Don't get me wrong. Salvation is wonderful. It's the most important thing in life. 
But we also got to teach people, not just in this building, but everywhere we go, how to live the Christian life, how to have a relationship with Christ that's not just in word, but it's also in deed. It's not just in our creed, but also in our actions, in the way that we live. And then the last one I'll show, and we'll jump off on this list, is this Galatians chapter number 6. Galatians chapter number 6. An expectation of God, or a command, I guess is probably the better way of saying it, a command of God for the church. Galatians chapter number 6. And in verse number 2, Galatians 6, 2 says this, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So what are we also supposed to do? We're supposed to uh, bear the burdens of others, right? Bear the burdens of other people. We looked at that probably about four or five months ago on a Wednesday night, about bearing someone else's burdens in that. And here's what I want to ask ourselves, okay? You got this list here, which is a good list, but boy, this list does not look real hot right now compared to that list, does it? But the average believer, the average pastor, the average pastor will think Monday through Saturday, what can I do better on this list right here is what we'll do. Because we want to attract more people. We want to bring in more people. But if something was missing, this list or this list, I wonder how aggravated you would be as a believer. How aggravated was I, would I be as a pastor, just being honest. If somebody was looking for a church, if somebody came through the doors and they saw all of this, but they didn't see a whole lot of this, are we really fulfilling the commands of God? Now you say, Brother Phil, what in the world does that have to do with Mark chapter 7? We're going to get into that in a moment. Because here's the things. This is an expectation of man. This is a command of God. And God says, when God looks at our church, meaning the human beings inside the church, what does God see more of? Does he see more energy? Does he see more focus on these things right here? Or does he see a group of imperfect people trying to please a perfect God that's trying their best through God's help to do these things right here? What is it that we're trying to do? What is it that's our purpose? What is it that we're going to be more upset about? Okay, by the way, We've all been in situations where one of these things we didn't get right on a Sunday morning, and it just ruined somebody's day. Okay? This didn't go right, and I ain't going to point at any of them, okay? Because you can just plug in whichever one. Because everyone's got something on here that they like a lot that really is almost an idol. But anyhow, it's it's really something they really like, that they really cling to. And if that doesn't go well, what does it think? Well, we didn't have a good service. You know, the whole idea was getting together is this, is that this is an opportunity for us as a church to gather together, whether it's for Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, like we do. But the whole point is not just to do these things in this building, but to do this to a world out there that needs Christ, the one that we found, the one that's found us, the one that's come to us. And if I can't do this in here, I'm going to really have a hard time doing it out there. And I'm telling you this because I, I want to tell you, I've been reading the book of Acts, and I know I mentioned that a few times on Wednesday night. I've been reading and reading and reading and reading the book of Acts. And it really bothers me how shallow, really, I think I am spiritually and how a lot of times I feel like I am this great mega Christian when really I'm not. When you look at the early church, I mean, kind of, kind of think about it like this. You got, you got Paul and Peter, okay? And this is just a fictitious story. Can you just imagine Paul walking up to Peter Saying, hey, uh, Peter, where do you go to church at? 
Oh, I go down here to, I'll just make something up, Cornerstone Church. Oh, okay. Uh, do they got a teen program there? Now, do they got a teen program down there, Peter, at your church? They got that? Oh, okay, good. Hey, what's the music like? What's the worship like down there at Cornerstone? What's that like? All right, do, do, they, do they got a nursery for that? Hey, what time's the services? And by the way, how many services do they have? And, and by the way, do they got something for, for, for people that are married? Do they have, what kind of activities do they have? I highly doubt any of us could ever see Paul and Peter having that conversation. You know why? Because those are the things that should not matter the most. They're icing on the cake. They're not the cake. And when you think about it and you think about Peter's life and those things in life, I have to ask myself, if I have to ask if Emmanuel Baptist Church does these things, I have to answer this question first. Does Phil Rogers do these things right here? You have to ask yourself, put your name in. Do I love people like Christ loves me? Do I try to meet people's needs that can meet nothing back? Do I try to evangelize and share Christ with people? Nothing wrong with inviting people to church. But if we're saved for a certain amount of time, we ought to be able at the place spiritually where we can say, not only do I want to invite you in church, but let me tell you about what Christ has done in my life. And are we at the place where we can help somebody to take the next steps in their life spiritually as a disciple? And then the idea of bearing burdens. The idea of you don't run from other people's burdens. You run to them. Now that's a weird concept in today's world. You know, you hear about, oh, I talked to so-and-so. They're just going to unload the truck of all their problems that we have. And I just, oh, I just can't handle all their problems that they have. But we're supposed to bear one of those burdens. Why? And so fulfilling the law of Christ, as it says in Galatians chapter 6, verse number 2, as he speaks on this. You know, a couple, I think it was last Sunday, we looked in Luke chapter number 12 about the parable of the, ser- of the master that went away. And remember, he gave the servants responsibility. And some of the servants, when he returned, did not do what they were supposed to do. He gave them a commandment of what to do there in Luke 12, and they didn't do it. And there was an expectation, and he punished them pretty harshly, if you really remember the parable and the discussion there in Luke 12. And I think to myself, how can I really shrug my shoulders at that as a Christian? That means as a believer, the Lord is returning, or I'm going to meet the Lord one day, whether it's, whether it's in the rapture or whether it's in death. How can I shrug my shoulders at the things that God has called me to do as a believer as part of the body of Christ? How can I just say, well, was it that great of a sermon? I can tell you right now, no. (laughs) Was the sermon communicated better? Is the youth group relevant enough? Could the music be better? Or do honestly in our lives we ask ourselves this, what could make us more like Christ? Are we doing these things right here? Don't get me wrong. The Bible says that everything to be done decently and in order. And I don't believe in getting up and winging things, okay? I believe everything should be done decently and in order. But if we're honest a lot of times, what would change us as believers? What would change us? Would it have more of a clean building, better childcare, more ministries? What would be the thing that really brings about lasting change when we walk out these doors tonight? Would it be if the coffee was done? Would it be because child care there? Would it be because the sermon was a good sermon? Was it, would it, or would it be because I have a burden for my neighbor? I have a burden for my coworker. I have a burden to help meet someone else's need. I have a burden to quit loving myself as much and start loving other people like Christ does. Because what we're really looking at tonight as we get into Mark chapter number 7 is this. 
You have man's traditions versus Christ's commands is really what you have. So if you're back there in Mark chapter number 7. In Mark chapter 7, just to give you an idea of kind of what's going on here in this passage. Jesus is sitting having a meal with his disciples, right? As we read these first nine verses, Jesus is having a meal with his disciples. And the situation basically comes up like this. Jesus' disciples didn't wash their hands. And that's a huge, huge, huge no-no in the Pharisees. They broke tradition. There's a tradition that's always been done here, and that was a big no-no. And the Pharisees actually called them out on it. Look in verse number 3. It says in Mark 7, For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands off, eat not holding what? The tradition of the elders... And down in verse number 5, look what it says. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked Jesus, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed or unwashed hands? And they get really, really upset. They are majorly offended. Why? Because the disciples sat at a meal and didn't observe what should have been done, the tradition. Let's just be honest. This is not a topic that any church likes to talk about. But if we're not careful, we make man's traditions into God's commands where they have no place of being. God's commands are what's on this side of the board right here along with a lot of other chapters and verses in Scripture. But if we're not careful, we make the traditions the commands. And traditions are not commands. Traditions are good as long as they have their place. Traditions are good as long as they don't supersede or even equal God's word and God's command. You know, in thinking about those things, what do we get more upset over? You say, Brother Phil, we're a happy church. We love each other. We never get upset about anything. We always smile at each other. And we walk in, we walk out, we sing, we pray, we go home. Right. We're all humans. But think about it. And hopefully it wasn't today. Hopefully it's not now. Think of the last time you got really aggravated because of something at church. Let me ask you a question. Which list was affected? What failed that got you aggravated? Was it because these certain things didn't get done? Or maybe one of these things wasn't done? And, and I want to tell you something that I think, I think is kind of interesting. Nowhere in Scripture is it a command to give a 40-minute sermon. Some of y'all say, Brother Phil, if you ever just preach for 40 minutes, we would understand that. It's not a command in Scripture anywhere to give a 40-minute sermon. But it is a command in Galatians 6, 2, that I'm supposed to bear other people's burdens. But what do we do? We put emphasis on the tradition. I've thought about doing this. I've done it every now and then. i thought about it sometimes, but I won't do it in the right spirit. Just coming into a church service and saying, hey, we're going to change the whole order of service. And we're going to start with the preaching. And then after the preaching, we're going to have some prayer time. And after prayer time, we're going to end the service with singing. And the only reason I don't do it is because I'm really scared half the people will be going, what's wrong with Phil? Is he off his meds? I mean, what's wrong with it? Why? And some people might walk away going, man, I just don't understand that. And get so what? Distracted. Distracted. About what really doesn't matter. But that just shows how ingrained we are in traditions and how much of a priority that it gives. I'm going to tell on myself here for a moment, okay? Uh, When I came here to Emmanuel, um, I grew up the church back in Tennessee where I was from, where, where where I worked at and served at. You didn't cancel church for anything. 
I mean, it had to be like tropical storm on the town, on the building. You didn't cancel church for anything. And I remember one of the first times I came, someone said, hey, don't worry. We just want to let you know, we normally cancel church, the evening service, on Easter Sunday. Well, I grew up at that was the night of the Easter cantata. That was the night of all the things that you did. And so in my mind, I'm like, how are we touching the Lord's anointed? What are we doing? Not having service on Sunday night. What are we doing? And it took me, I'm just being honest. It took me a minute to realize it's okay. We're not sacrificing a command of God for a sin. There's nothing wrong in in, in doing that and doing it for the right reason. A lot of times, why? Because we do an Easter carnival on the day before, and we do a lot of ministry and a lot of things that we give. And you know what? I'd rather have people obey God out of love than obey God out of obligation. And in that, thinking to myself that, and I think, man, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. I got a friend that uh, he did something, and and, and I don't want to do this because I feel like the Lord's blessing it. He, he called me about a year ago. He says, Phil, I just want you to pray for me, but you're going to hear this about me, and people are going to really, really just lose their minds about this, okay? And I said, well, cool. I'm really excited now. Uh, he says, I'm going to change my Sunday school, where I'm not going to have Sunday school. I'm going to do a service from 1030 to, to 12, and then I'm going to do Sunday night service. It's going to kind of be like our Wednesday night Awanas kind of thing. And then on Wednesday night, it's going to be like Sunday school. We meet in our different groups for Bible study with that. And I said, I, I, I don't want to talk to you anymore. You know, I just, you know, step away, unclean. But I can't give you a chapter and verse for Sunday school. Now, I can tell you this. I can say that in what we do here, I would hate the idea of canceling Sunday school. And you that are part of Sunday school knows that, in my mind, this is one of the more... I'll be honest, sometimes I get more out of Sunday school than I do on the Sunday morning. I'm just being honest. And because of that, I have to sometimes think to myself, does that mean that guy's any less of a Christian? Man, he is a pagan. He got rid of Sunday school because it says in Matthew 28, verse number 21. It's not really there. um, Thou shalt have Sunday school at 945 every Sunday morning. No. But. I do believe if your local church and assembly has meetings that says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, uh, as, you know, and you can keep going with the verse if you like, I'll stop there. But you know what? Being faithful. Why? Because you want to exhort one another. You want to encourage one another. Hey, I tell you, you being here tonight, you know what it does? It exhorts me. It encourages me that you're here. I know you've got a thousand and two things you could be doing right now. But the gathering together, the assembling together, when we're gathering together for the simple fact of this, we want to get around this book. We want to learn more about God. And I want to learn more how I can please a God that loves me and gave everything for me. And how can I be more like him? That's encouraging. That's encouraging to know that's what people want. And in Mark chapter number 7, these these Pharisees, and by the way, it's always a horrible term, right? Look at this. Look at your disciples. They're not washing their hands. Is it good to wash your hands? Absolutely. Please wash your hands. Kind of like we joke about if you got somebody sick, stay home. <laughs> okay, don't come. Certain things we don't want to share. It is good to wash your hands. But it's not as big as evangelizing the lost and loving people as Christ loved them. That's what Jesus is trying to say. And do you see Jesus' response? And we always think of Jesus in this very soft tone. And very loving answer. Do you see what Jesus' response was to them when they said, Why are they not holding the traditions? Jesus looks at him. What does it say? He says, Well, have Isaiah prophesied of you 
hypocrites. Wow, that's a very loving way to start a conversation right there, isn't it? Jesus, why don't you have your disciples obey the traditions? We're really upset they're not doing these traditions, which is something good. And Jesus said, you know what, Isaiah talked about you hypocrites. He said, Isaiah talked about you hypocrites, that you know what you're going to do? He says in verse number 6, you're going to be a people that honoreth me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. You're going to know exactly what to say, but this thing right here is nowhere close to the building. You're going to come in, you're going to know the songs, you're going to know the prayers, you're going to know the rituals, you're going to say all the right thing, but your heart is not going to be anywhere close to God. And you do these traditions, why? Because that's what you're supposed to do, and you're in love with the traditions, and the traditions make you feel like a better Christian or a better follower of God, when really God doesn't want my traditions, he wants my heart. Because when God has my heart, he has my actions. When God has my heart, he has my spirit. When God has my heart, he has all these different things are a lot easier to do. But can I tell you something? If God doesn't have my heart, I can still do these things right here. Probably won't do them well, but I can still do them. But if God doesn't have my heart, it's really hard for me to live out this list right here. He said, Brother Phil, why in the the world are are you talking about that? You probably can see why I saved this for a Sunday night. (laughs) Because I want our church, and whoever comes in and comes out and is part of our church, I don't mind these things being present. But I'd rather be known for that. And if we're going to be known for that, we've got to love that. And if we want to love that, that means that's got to be the priority. And that means if we're going to get upset about something, it can't be one of these things didn't happen. It means this right here. And it means if we're going to love that and we're going to prioritize that, that means we have to have personal responsibility that we are personally going to help fulfill this. Brother Phil, you know, you really do need to be doing some visiting right now. You're absolutely right. But if you really want to go to the book of Acts, you really want to see what he called deacons for, you really want to see what he called all believers to, he's saying, hey, we all should be doing this. We all should be doing this. We all should be meeting people on their need. We all should be loving people. We all should be evangelizing. We all should be doing that. It's not just up to one person or a staff to do it. I'm not saying that to un- say undue responsibility. I'm saying it's our responsibility. It's our calling. And the thing that's great about it being our calling, it's a grudge if I don't want to do it. It's a blessing when I do it because I love Christ. And by the way, when I love Christ, I can love people that aren't lovable. You say, Brother Phil, I got somebody in my life. You're telling me I got to love them like Christ loved me. It is very difficult to love them. Pray and ask God to give you an unconditional love for them. See, an unconditional love means this. They don't reciprocate it, but you continue it. By the way, in any relationship you have that you love somebody, if it's not an unconditional love, then there's a good chance that love will cease whenever they cease giving you that love. And, and that's what God asked us to do in this part. And I really find it interesting. Jesus gets really upset. <laughs> you read verses 7, 8, and 9. Jesus doesn't say, well, you're a hypocrite. No, no. He, he pretty much blasts them because he says, you know what you do? Even in verse 9, and I'll end with this. Verse 9, he goes on to say, And he saith, In the full well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your own tradition. Jesus says, you know what really, really bothers me? He said about you Pharisees. He says, you'll reject this just to make sure you keep this. And in my mind, in my heart, and I'm not saying we're a church that's not doing this. Don't get me wrong tonight. 
But what I'm saying is this. I think every now and then it's good for us to take inventory of what really, really matters. What really matters. And at the end of the day, what is going to be used to help bring people to Christ and to help people grow in their walk with the Lord. I love all this. I don't want to see any of this stop. It doesn't say anywhere in the Bible that we need to have a soccer ministry. It doesn't say anywhere at all about it. But you know what? With the soccer ministry doing it the right way, we can meet all these needs. Can do it. Sunday school can help meet all these needs. Ladies ministry can do this right here. Men's fellowship can do that right there. Youth activities can do all those things right there. But it can't just be about the activity. It's got to be what is the purpose in what we're doing. You know, it's kind of like, I love our music here, but our music has to have the idea of this. We've got to do it out of a love for Christ to honor and glorify Christ. It's got to be. We all got 30,000 different styles of things that we like, things we like, don't like. But we've got to say, what's the point? Is the point to help show the love of Christ in what we do? Is it to help evangelize, to help meet people's needs? I will tell you, I have sat, and I can smile really good. I have sat in a service. And just sometimes stop and listen to the congregational singing. And the congregational singing encouraged me. I can sometimes stop and listen and think about the words that the choir is singing. And it can encourage me. I can listen to an offertory. I can listen to a special. And I can listen to it. It has its place. It can do that. And that's the goal for it to be an encouragement. For it to draw people to Christ in everything that we do. Everything that we do. So I just want to encourage you in this tonight. Don't be scared. I'm not about to change a thousand things, okay? There's a lot of people like, oh, oh, what's coming? Nothing. Other than hopefully we're going to follow Christ in the way that we are as a church. And ask yourself tonight, what's more important to you? Because we all said raise your hand, which one's more important? We all going to raise our hand right here. But raising our hand is our lip service, verse 6. Our heart being close to God is living it when we go out there. Let's stand together if you would. I appreciate you being here tonight. And we'll close in a word of prayer. Brother Ralph, if you would, would you close this, please?